Welcome to another episode of the Providence Friarcast, presented, presented by, by PCBB 1917.com. Your home for Providence College basketball news, notes, and opinions. Now here's the founder of PCBB 1917.com and your host, Mike Hopkins. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Providence Friarcast. I want to thank you for joining us again. It'll be uh, Brendan, Chris, and I back together for this first episode of the off season. Make sure you stay tuned after our discussion for an interview with former Providence assistant, Rhode Island College head coach, and University of Maine head coach Bob Walsh. Bob and I discussed uh, the Providence program from when he got to uh, Friartown in 1998 which was, I think, pre-the-term Friartown, something Bob Driscoll brought in the early 2000s. But a really interesting discussion with Coach Walsh where uh, he gives his insights and perspective as a head coach and also someone who's been in, around the Providence program for a long time on where the program is in 2018. Let's get started with our discussion and stay tuned for uh, Bob Walsh. All right, we're back here for our first postseason edition of the Providence Friarcast. Uh, Friars finished up the season with a first-round exit in the NCAA tournament last Friday in Charlotte against Texas A&M in the 7-10 game. Texas A&M went on to kill North Carolina on Sunday in Charlotte to advance to the Sweet 16, but the Friars uh, had had an exciting run the end of the season in the Big East tournament all the way to the Big East championship game against Villanova After th- in three overtimes. They fell a little short, uh, made their fifth straight appearance in the NCAA tournament, and uh, as I mentioned, bowed out in the first round. Just give me your perspective on the season, kind of wrap it up for me, and, and give me a little perspective on, on where you are in terms of the program in 2018. Well, I think if you went back to the preseason, and when we fir- what first learned that Emmett Holt was going to be out, and then we found out in early December that he had had abdominal surgery, and there was no chance for him to play this season, and for this team to make it to what a, a fifth straight NCAA tournament appearance, I would have to consider it a huge success given it was virtually the same roster as last year, sprinkle in with a couple of cute, a uh, couple of newcomers and Nate Watson and Makai Ashton Langford, who in varying spots looked like, you know, promising prospects and other times they looked like freshmen, you know, defensively. I think this team showed a lot of grit, especially down the stretch, you know, grabbing key wins along the way against Villanova and Xavier and putting themselves in position, going to New York to be an NCAA tournament team and then playing three overtime games in three days in a row, getting that first win against Creighton was a huge step for them. Defeating Xavier in overtime, the top seed in this year's Big East tournament on the second night, you know, validated the, their uh, stance even more. And unfortunately, they just ran out of gas in that uh, third game against Villanova, going to overtime once again. And they were able to get, you know, off that first four bubble, which maybe was a bit of a concern going into New York. And then, you know, just unfortunately for the Friars, they ran into a team that had NBA size in Texas A&M and kind of exposed what was maybe an issue all season, especially talking about the key of the two young big men and Khalif Young and Nate Watson. Did they really develop to the point, especially on the glass, where you did not have to always have to rely on guys like, undersized guys like Rodney Bullock and Jalen Lindsey to pull down rebounds, and did that really affect their offensive game as the season went on, the, the amount of defensive responsibilities they have to shoulder? Did that kind of affect them down the stretch? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a disappointing way to end it. You know, they came up against a really good Texas A&M team that is clearly playing, you know, the best ball of their season right now. Tyler Davis and Robert Williams are just absolute monsters underneath. So, yeah, it was, it was tough, you know, first-round exit. But I think it's all it's all about perspective. You know, you go on Twitter and you see people complaining about another first-round exit from Cooley and, you know, this and that. He can't win a game in the tournament. And you know, you got to look at it. He, he's made the tournament now with this team for five straight seasons. Prior to those five, I don't think Providence had been back-to-back since the Rick Barnes era, which was, I believe, 88-90, to 90, I think, was the last time they went back-to-back before Cooley. So it's all about perspective and where the program is heading. And obviously he's got them trending upward. He's got a great recruiting class coming in, head by David Duke and A.J. Reeves. So I think really, you know, if you're if you're a Friars fan, that's really what you need to focus on and you need to look at the big picture and, and what he's done over the last couple of years has really been pretty incredible. And, and they're heading in the right direction. So I think in terms of mindset and perspective, that's really where I am and where I think other people should be. A couple things uh, there that I think are important to talk a little bit more about when you're talking about Providence hadn't been back-to-back in a while. You talk about Rick Barnes, and you kind of go down the line. Uh, after Dave Gavitt, they sort of, Providence was pretty pretty predominantly, pretty openly, I think everybody acknowledged it, a stepping stone job. And now you're, you're at the point where Cooley can go to five straight tournaments at Providence, and he's, he's going to stay. He's not going anywhere. So that's another thing to think about where maybe after the, th- the second or third run, maybe after Chris Dunn leaves, a different coach would have tried to, to trade up like you're seeing Dan Hurley do now after his senior class uh, got got him pretty far, two straight tournaments and an A-10 title. He's now going to UConn. So, you, I mean, like who knows if Ed Cooley is a different person, not from Providence, if it's anybody else, if Providence is going to even keep – I mean, you could be a URI fan today th- looking at your coach who, who you were really – six years, you had a great run. And you, you laid out the red carpet, you, you gave him a big offer, and you couldn't compete with a bigger job. That's not the problem at Providence. Cooley now five straight tournaments. He's got, as you mentioned, the, the nice class coming in next year with two highly rated local kids. Kid he really likes out, out of South Carolina and Jimmy Nichols. you got Chris Monroe. I mean, they are set up for this next five years. And just, just a little stat here to throw out there to everybody. In the Big East era, uh, Providence has 11 seasons where they won 20 or more games, guess who has five of those tw- of 11? And that's Ed Cooley. The last five years, they've won 20 games every year. Six straight postseasons with the NIT the year before the NCAA run started, which is, I think, eight or nine in a row is the longest streak they had, which was under Gavitt, which was a combo of NCAAs and NIT. Um, but just uh, perspective is, is a... It's a word that gets used a lot when teams are, you know, for teams that are out of the tournament now, you got to look back and, and some, some people are more patient than others. And I don't want to make it sound like you and I are just like shilling for Providence and Ed Cooley, but anybody who has been a Providence fan for more than the last five years and has a little idea of where this program was when I was in school and when Keno Davis was the head coach or when Bob Walsh, who you hear later was, was with the program in 98 to, you know, with, with Welsh. When Bob Bob was on the Upside podcast the other day with Adam Finkelstein, and he made a good point. He said, the first first five years, we went to the NCAA tournament twice, and they were ready to build a statue for us. So when you look at it from that perspective, from the late 90s, early 2000s, to where Providence is right now, coming up on 2020, they got their practice facility opening in August. I mean, really, I don't know how you could be that disappointed. And the other thing, too, 
not to go too long here, but I think the other thing that's important, and I, I've mentioned it, we've talked about it the last several podcasts and throughout the year, the best way to win in the NCAA tournament is to have a good seed. And the best way to do that is to win a lot of games in the regular season. So right now the formula has been working for Providence, but it really what they need to do is maybe tweak the formula a little bit, maybe get the out-of-conference gets a little tougher. I don't know how they do that. But to, to get to like that 25-win plateau where your RPI is in the teens, not in the 30s and 40s, that's what will make the difference for winning in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and I think I think an important thing that you mentioned um, in terms of you know stability is he's not going anywhere. Cooley's going to stick around and he's going to stay, and that's important because you know a program that's been to the NCAA tournament for five years, as you said, is often going to worry about that. They're going to worry about the coach, you know, going on to greener pastures, and that's not a concern with Ed Cooley. So I think that's a huge plus, and also just looking at the bigger picture, like we've been reiterating over and over again in the last couple minutes, is the fact that he's losing, you know, a, a solid group of three starters and yet you know it's not going to be a rebuilding year it's not going to be a, a a break in the success next year with you know potentially another tournament run coming next season so i think that's just a huge plus and a huge positive and kind of a you know a compliment to what cooley's done is the fact that he can lose three quality players like that and still have a good team set up for next year so looking ahead at the scheduling, uh, just something we talked about a little bit with maybe tweaking a couple things. Um, they have their, the Mohegan Sun tournament. The Hall of Fame tip-off will be their November tournament for next season. Uh, there's also a rumor out there that they are trying to get a, a non-conference game with a team from the South and the, and the SEC, potentially. Um, so a lot of things out there. We were talking the Gavit games. Maybe they'd sit out the Gavit games because they were supposed to sit out this past year. Uh, and at some point it's a numbers game. Providence has played in the Gavit games every year. Got to give somebody else a chance. But, Brendan, what do you think about the scheduling aspect? They seem to have a pretty good formula for getting to the 20 wins and getting into the tournament, but is there something they can look at to tweak the schedule to try to get their resume on another level where maybe 20 isn't the goal anymore? Maybe try to get to 25 wins to get a better seed? Yeah, I think that RPI point's really key. That would definitely help if they could grab a home-and-home a home type series with an SEC school. I mean, I think it I think it all comes down to... Also, you know, another thought, it also helps recruiting, you know, saying, yeah, we play, say, this SEC team, you know, every year, home-and-home home series, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think it would definitely help uh, kind of get out of the, I don't want to say trap of the early season tournaments, but, you know, that's become the norm. And I think maybe for one, RPI purposes, and two, just as a little change, I think it would help going forward to maybe change that up a little bit? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Mike. Uh, can you do that? I think PC has maybe fallen to the trap where a lot of other schools, where you kind of you get wedded to these preseason tournaments, and they're not just two games anymore in one site. Like we saw with the 2K Classic last year, it was kind of took care of four, five games for the Friars. They also had the the uh, the tip off the uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, I think the Holiday Classic down in Mohegan against Houston. That was another game that was taken care of. You know, can they get or link up with an opponent where you don't have to have that quote unquote tournament umbrella attached to it? And can you get a series going with a team that has nothing to do with, say, the Gavit Games or like we mentioned, the tip off tournament? That's pretty been pretty tough because people have always said they don't want to come to the Dunkin' Donuts Center. And that's something that Ed Cooley has always harped on in the past. The, the the tough aspect of getting teams to actually come. I mean, we saw this with Kentucky a few years ago, where the furthest east they would come was Brooklyn, 
and they had to go play in Rupp Arena. That was the return game. You know, can they get something going, a series with a, like, like you said, SEC school that uh, would be more alluring and also helpful in the RPI uh, booster as well? What are your thoughts about some of the uh, some of the local schools? I mean, UMass uh, was a big. I mean, obviously, it'd be better if you just won the games. But um, UMass has they've lost to them a few times over the last several years. Is that game worth it in a really down eight ten? I mean, maybe that job. Maybe they turn it around. Uh, the new coach now after his first year, maybe he'll he'll get it back going. But like the playing BC every year, playing UMass. What are your thoughts on some of those local matchups going forward? Yeah, you know, it's weird. It would be weird to go away from those just because they've been the norm for so long, you know? So um, it would be odd to think about that. You know, UMass, you got UMass, Brown, URI, BC. Those are like the main ones. Uh, You know, we've played Maine in the past. Um, Sacred Heart pops up. They were here, uh, you know, this past season. I think it's important to keep some of those local ties in there, specifically those top three of UMass, URI, and BC, you know, Brown, Brown as well. Brown has given Providence tough games over the last couple of years. You know, they, they uh, took an overtime win for Providence this season. And obviously URI is not going to go anywhere. Uh, but I think it's important to keep those games in there. So, you know, maybe if you then want to bring in a new out-of-conference opponent, you eliminate, say, like a Belmont or a Stony Brook or a Sacred Heart or something like that. I think that probably helps. But for the most part, I think those BC... Brown UMass games should should remain on the schedule. Yeah, I will. I'll hop on that point and go one further with uh, today's news about Dan Hurley going over to UConn. Does that kind of maybe push that series closer to the forefront than it was before? You know, you remember Ed Cooley talking about last year about had had preliminary talks with Kevin Ollie about maybe starting the series not next year but maybe a couple years down the road. Does Dan Hurley's presence at UConn maybe? thrust that to the forefront, given that UConn has slid off a little bit the last couple of years in terms of the New England scale, where URI under Dan Hurley kind of moved up, you know, could it be a good thing if the have the have the former New England power taking on maybe the quote-unquote current power in PC? Would that be a good thing down the line? And could that actually happen with uh, the changes of coaches at, UR, at uh, UConn? Yeah, I think the UConn game should come back. I mean, that that was even before Dan Hurley went there. That's just it makes a lot of sense. I I would rather play UConn every year than than UMass if you had told me I had to choose. Uh, but obviously, the the benefit to those games is it's cheap for travel for both teams, and in some instances, it's a buy game for the lesser opponent. Um, so I mean, I, I agree that it's nice to have those um, those local matchups. I just don't know if there has to be every year for a team like a UMass. Um, Brown, you know, it's in the city, so that's kind of nice, and we'll see how they, have, you know, they've had some good players over the years, um, but even getting back into, like, you know, do you want to play, like, New Hampshire? Remember, I remember when Keno was, was in Providence, you're playing, like, New Hampshire, Northeastern. I mean, the, the schedule has gotten better. I just uh, I just don't know if it makes a lot of sense to keep playing as many of these local games versus, let's say, you can get... I mean, even if the UConn thing ends up being every other year you switch who's the home team and you play Mohegan Sun and you do a charity thing if the NCAA allows or something like that, that would be something that I think is important. I, I know that they like coming to the Barclays Center for a couple of t- times. Uh, I think they'd like to get back into that, maybe a game around Christmas time on a neutral, getting down to New York City. I know the uh, the alumni people like Steve Napolillo love that. 
for for fundraising. Um, I don't know. Scheduling is an interesting thing, and obviously Brian Blaney does a, a good job because they've been in the tournament five years in a row, and they have a formula that works. But uh, I I would be interested to see if they have any any tweaks for the eighteen nineteen nineteen twenty seasons coming up. All right. Before we get into my discussion with Coach Bob Walsh, I want to special give a special shout out here to some of my patrons. That's JLD, John Lee Dumas, Mike Evans, my parents, Adam Nagel, Bob Allison, Ron Torbick, Brendan Ryan, Dan Marcus, Joe DeAngelis, Dennis Corbett, Mike Saburn, Ray Penza, Dennis Burns, Chris Thurlow, Alex Simeone, G, Terry Meyer, Alan Russ, and Ted Burbage. For as little as $3 a month, you can get access to our Slack community, which is almost 40, 40 members strong now. Uh, a lot of good discussion going on about some of the NCAA tournament games, some off-season news, some recruiting discussion, all kinds of things in our little community over there. So go to patreon.com slash pcbb1917 to check out the different options. And without further ado, let's get into the interview with uh, Bob Walsh. We welcome in Bob Walsh, former assistant at Providence from 1998 to 2005 under Tim Welsh, former head coach at Rhode Island College for nine seasons, a record of 204 and 63, 316s, and an Elite Eight, and most recently the head coach at the University of Maine the last four seasons, um, opting to not pursue a contract extension in Orlando. Bob, welcome to the Providence Firecast. Thanks for taking a few minutes to talk PC hoops with me. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me on. So uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Coach is, uh, has a great blog, CoachBobWalsh.com. You should definitely go check it out. He recently had something up over the weekend, uh, a blog entitled Owning Expectations. Interesting read. I, I read it on the plane uh, on the way home from Charlotte this weekend, and I was sort of in the midst of thinking and reflecting a lot on the 2017-18 season. Obviously, just come to an end. Providence's program and the expectations that Cooley has brought upon the program now going to five straight NCAA tournaments, and obviously, inevitably, the narrative starts to shift from where it was when Cooley took over in 2011, yeah, coming off three pretty bad seasons with Keno Davis. Uh, starting to hear a little bit of a small group of fans, Twitter message board type commentary, um, complaining now about five trips but only one win in the NCAA tournament. I obviously have my own opinions on that, uh, which I've shared on this podcast a little bit. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts, having been a PC with Tim Welsh during the period when you went to the tournament twice and the NIT twice in the first six years, and uh, one year, one of the years, the, getting the fifth seed in the SA tournament, which is still the best seed Providence ever had. Um, so just curious to hear your perspective on the current state of the program versus where it was like 20 years ago when you when you started there, and whether or not it's fair for fans to expect more now than they did, uh, let's say, you know, 10 years ago. I'm a big believer in high expectations. I just spent the last four years in Maine, to be honest, in a low-expectations environment where I spend every day trying to raise the expectations. So I want to be in an environment where expectations are really high. I think you know, Ed Cooley feels the same way. I mean, he's talked publicly about winning a national championship. You know, So uh, the expectations, I think, should be high. I think... He's clearly raised the bar 
higher than uh, any other coach at, at Providence College as far as consistently getting to the NCAA tournament uh, and being an NCAA tournament team. Uh, and I think he'd be the first one to tell you that his expectations are greater than just getting into the tournament. You know, what made me think about that was, was actually another coach in, in our league, in the America East, whose team uh, had had some success this year for the first time in a while, and now they're going to be sort of a favorite coming back. And he asked me what my thoughts were on it, and I said, well, you know, you need to, you need to understand two things. You need to, to understand the mentality of your team, and then you need to understand your own mentality and what fits their personality and what fits your personality, uh, and then move forward accordingly. But uh, So I think high expectations are a great thing. I think the expectations at Providence being really high uh, is of value to that program. And, and I think the fans who want more year after year, uh, I think more than maybe any other program in New England right now or in the Northeast, uh, the passion of the fans really ignite that program. I just also think with high expectations, you can still have a balanced perspective. You know, high expectations does not mean if we lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament, we've had a bad year. You know, uh, you, you should certainly be disappointed when your season ends and you lose in the tournament. But I still think going to the NCAA tournament at just about every school in the country is a great year. So when I look at Providence this year, I think, man, they had another great year. Now, uh, did they go as far as they wanted? No, but you can have both. You can have high expectations and also have a balanced perspective. And you can really make the argument that of this five-year run, there was really only one year where they were probably expected to actually maybe make a Sweet 16, and that was the year they were a six in Columbus and with Chris Dunn and Henton. Uh, obviously had a little bit of a uh, home court issue with Dayton winning uh, in Dayton in the 11 and then playing. I was at that game. It was pretty clearly a home court advantage. Um, but really, the other years, you're you're kind of in the 8-9 game. This year, the 10-7. Um, so that to me, that's the next step for the program where the expectations certainly can be raised. And I, I agree with you that I think that a balanced perspective is, is very important. You have to celebrate the positives learn from the negatives a little bit and, and understand that looking back when I was a student at Providence College, coming off of Keno Davis's time, uh, and even, you know, those three years were, were pretty rough. They had the one NIT and then, but obviously all the off-court stuff. So looking at it from a big picture, it's just so obvious that the program is in a different place. And I think uh, a lot of that is Ed Cooley, but also some of that is the Big East realignment, which I'm curious to hear your thoughts on if Providence is Probably, I think, I think Providence is probably one of, if not the biggest winner. Maybe you could argue Villanova. And certainly the, the programs like Daver and Creighton and Butler coming from the smaller leagues. But I mean, Providence being in a position from when you were there where the Big East was like two divisions, you played, um, in a balanced schedule, uh, to, to see kind of this 10 team league where everyone has similar expectations, uh, and similar mindsets as basketball first. Um, what's your perspective on the Big East and how it's benefited Providence these last five years? It fits the personality of the school perfectly. You know, the league, the structure of the league, uh, it's kind of back to the roots of the Big East that Providence obviously played a huge role uh, in the startup with Coach Gavitt and Mike T. So uh, I think everybody in the league has benefited. Uh, certainly you could look at specific schools and say, you know, wow, Providence maybe benefit more than others, but 
you're right. You know, Butler and Xavier and, and you know, Villanova's won a national championship and they're consistently, you know, in that one-two seed line. So um, I, I think that league has elevated all of the programs in it because of the fit for those teams. They know who they are and they know basketball is really, really important. And the fans should be excited about it. You know, when I got to Maine, somebody asked me, about the fans being patient. And I said, I don't, the, it's not, it's my job to be patient as a coach, right? It's Ed Cooley's job. It's the coaching staff's job to be patient um, with, with their team, with the young players, to bring them along. I, I, want the, I want the passion of the fans. I don't want their patience. I want fans who, who want to win, you know, who, who want to come in and, and you know, um, beat Villanova and beat Xavier and be able to compete with those teams every single year and get to that level. So uh, I think the league and the structure of it really allows PC to flourish under their own identity. Uh, You know, the challenge now, uh, to me, Providence basketball has always been, has always had this identity as, as sort of an underdog program. You know, we were the smallest school in the Power Six conferences back then, by far, I think when I was coaching there, if you cut the enrollment of every other school in a Power Six conference uh, in half, uh, you'd still, you know, ex- except for maybe Wake Forest, PC would still have the, the the smallest enrollment of any of the schools. So PC's always had this identity as this underdog that can stand up to the big boys every now and then, and the fans love, you know, those Saturday afternoons in the dunk where the magic was there and you're beating a Georgetown, you're beating a Syracuse, you're beating a Connecticut, uh, and doing that a couple of times a year and having a chance to get the NCAA tournament um, was great. And I think those expectations have absolutely changed, you know, and, and that's awesome. I think Father Shanley and Bob Driscoll and Ed Cooley would be the first to say, you know, we need to embrace that. Uh, and, and now what do we need to do to, to make that, you know, next step, because there's no question with the culture of the program, with the talent that they're recruiting, uh, you know, in the future, they've got teams that should be playing on the second weekend and should be thinking about the Final Four and how they handle that is going to be really important. I'm glad you brought up that trio there. I think that's important. And and coming from a job at Maine where you, I I heard you on uh, the Upside podcast with Adam Finkelstein recently talking about how you had sort of an interesting situation with the, you know, there's a uh, new AD when you got hired, and now there's some influx with a lot of the athletic department and the president currently at Maine kind of going back and forth. So just give people a perspective as a coach. How important is it to you um, to have uh, the, the solid base and, and be on the same page with the president and the athletic director of the school being all on the same page with the head coach and how important that is to develop a program? Almost every coach you talk to at the Division One level certain, certainly will tell you that alignment uh, with your athletic director and with the president is crucial. And, and I'm not sure any school has captured that better than Providence College, you know, right now. Uh, Father Shanley has a vision. He's also got an understanding of what Bob Driscoll is capable of and what Bob Driscoll's vision is and allowing him to do his job, uh, and, and Ed Cooley's personality, uh, his chops as a coach, you know, his, his ability uh, as a coach on the floor, 
the types of kids that he attracts that fit the Providence College model, so to speak, uh, it's all 100% in alignment, and it is crucial. And every Division One coach is going to tell you that, that that's how you uh, have consistent high-level success. And I'll guarantee you when those guys are meeting this spring, they're talking about what they can do better. They're talking about, um, you know, Bob talks about it all the time, and I love it, a conversation of possibility. That's sort of his approach. And now you're going to see, a, you know, a practice facility go up, and you're seeing buildings on that campus that people 15, 20 years ago just can't believe uh, when they show up to the campus. And I'm not just talking about athletics. You're talking about the entire campus. So uh, the alignment with the athletic director, uh, the the president and the head basketball coach is crucial, and, and Providence is in a position right now where the vision of those three guys is so well aligned and so perfectly matched that, you know, incredible things can happen. Yeah, I always tell people the the nicest gym that I'll ever belong to in my life was is the Khan Canada Fitness Center when it was up. It's my freshman year. <laughs> My freshman year, and I'm sure you remember, the gym was like that little closet in the bottom of Slavin Center. Uh, literally, it was like someone's closet was with some free weights. Um, so the kind of Canada Fitness Center, the Ruane, uh the Ruane's family has now they have, they have the Humanities Building. They're the uh, the name the name donor on the uh, new athletic facility, which uh, seems to be on track to open in August. So I think that's that's so important to think about. And I know people are a little nervous. Father Shanley's going on a sabbatical. Uh, after this semester, so I, I don't think people should be too concerned. But obviously, it is as you know, as you, as you mentioned, that to have that synergy and 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 everyone being on the same page. I think the same thing could be said with uh, the hockey program right now with Nate Layman. It's just like all all come, coming together with uh, the, this group of hires that Bob has done this most recent time around. Um, but you you have known Ed for a while. You guys obviously that famous story exchanging tapes back in the day when he was at BC. Um, give people an idea of Ed Cooley's reputation among the coaching community. Uh, I'm not sure there's too many guys that are more well-respected or, or, or liked, um, and, and those two things aren't always, you know, aren't always easy to find, but uh, he's as genuine and as authentic a person as you will find uh, in college basketball coaching. So when he talks about uh, relationships, when he talks about what Providence College means to him, what the city of Providence means to him, uh, it's 100% genuine and authentic. It's the truth. It's who he is. So uh, there isn't any shtick to him, which I think is just really refreshing. And, and look, he's got, I mean, he would stop by Alumni Hall because you know, he lived in Providence when he was coaching at BC when he was an assistant and his wife was a cop. And he would stop by with coffee in the morning into our office as an assistant coach as another team in the league. And he'd knock on my door or poke his head in at nine o'clock with a couple of coffees and say, you know, hey, you know, I got to wait out the traffic so I can get to Boston. If I, if I leave right now, it's going to take me an hour and a half. You know, if I leave a half hour from now, I'll get there at the same time. And we just sit there and, and talk hoops and exchange films, and he just, uh, you know, his personality uh, is is genuine, it's authentic, and really, really, really well respected uh, in the college basketball community. And, and I think you see that reflected in 
the relationships he has with his players, and, and look, the ability to attract elite talent in college basketball most often comes down to uh, the connection to the head coach. You know, you can talk about great assistants and you can talk about facilities and, and uh, location and, and tradition, but, you know, you look at what Jay Wright has done at Villanova and you think about, yeah, I mean, that guy still goes out and recruits and connects uh, with, with players and families like he's an assistant coach, you know, trying to prove himself. And Ed Cooley does the same thing. And, uh, you know, Providence College is really lucky to have him uh, as their coach, but also representing the institution because it's a perfect fit. And you mentioned the genuine nature. Uh, he doesn't really have a, a shtick. He doesn't, not somebody who's just going to blow smoke to blow smoke. And I, talking to uh, kids and parents of kids who Providence has recruited successfully and unsuccessfully uh, over the last few years, it's interesting to me that the one the one word that I think kind of keeps coming up when you ask like what's their pitch to you, um, what have they been saying to you, uh, most almost all the time the word that comes up is he's very honest, <laughs> and sometimes they laugh when they say that because maybe they maybe he says something to them that they wouldn't want to hear, like that they want to hear that the kid's going to start from day one and have whatever. Um, how unique is that? for a head coach at a major school to have that level of honesty in the recruiting process to not just make promises that you maybe actually can't keep. And, and then, you know, it's got, obviously every program deals with, with transfers and, and all that, but how unique is that kind of approach in recruiting at this level? I wouldn't say it's entirely uncommon. I would say that the the nature of the business and the, you know, the the – the rat race, so to speak, and, and, you know, the money that's involved as far as coaches and salaries and, and the pressure as far as winning, uh, it, it, you know, it can change you a little bit. You know, it can, it can make it hard. You know, if you're trying to, um, you know, look, if I was trying to save my job at Maine, we weren't having a lot of success and I'm recruiting kids, it's easy to get caught up in, well, you know what, let's not talk to them about this or let's, you know, you know, let's avoid showing them that because you just don't want them to see any of the warts. And so it, it takes a comfort level as far as personality, but it also takes a comfort level, uh, you know, with your school, with, you, with your boss, you know, uh, in your position as the head coach. So I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's totally uncommon. You know, most coaches aren't out there lying to kids and being successful, uh, but, it's amazing how often you hear that from kids. If you talk to, to my players, you know, to Ed's players, to the players at Rhode Island College, to recruits who are juniors, and you say, what's most important to you? They say, man, I just appreciate the fact that he gives me the real deal, that he tells me the truth. And, and, and you know, it is a little bit uncommon because the reality is you might have to look at a kid who you think could be really good at Providence College and you think could really help you uh, who – is not a good fit for the school or, or something just isn't right. And, and you think, man, you have an opportunity to go there and I'm not sure what you're looking for. You're going to find here at Providence college. And, and so uh, I think that authenticity is crucial to being a successful leader at any level. I think a lot of times it gets muddled by the high pressure, high stakes of what's going on in college basketball and college athletics. And, you know, Ed Cooley's strong enough not to let that affect who he is. So uh, I mentioned at the top, you uh, 
you're not uh, not continuing on it at Maine. Um, what what's next for you? Uh, are you gonna take any time off? You want to just get right back into coaching? I don't entirely know, uh, which is kind of exciting. Uh, I've never been in this situation before where there's some opportunities that maybe you see or present themselves to you that when you, you know, you have a job, you don't really look at or they don't come your way. Um, you know, I'd love to look, I'd love to take a year off and, and go on sabbatical and go visit other teams and learn from other people. But, um, you know, I also like eating dinner at night. So, uh, I do need a job. Um, you know, it, it could be uh, could be coaching. Certainly, I want to coach. Uh, I absolutely would love to, to keep coaching, but it doesn't have to be. So I've said to a lot of people, everything's on the table. You know, I've been able to get involved in some leadership development stuff and the leadership academy that I, I run in Providence that I started at Rick, and um, you know, some media stuff, some podcast stuff. So uh, I absolutely want to coach. You know, I, I've. I could easily see being an assistant coach, uh, you know, which I haven't been in 13 years. You know, when you're the head coach and you're kind of, you know, doing what's comfortable for you, you're not necessarily learning as much as you used to as an assistant when you see different perspectives. So, um, you know, I don't have anything close right now. Uh, you know, I'm just sort of settling in and figuring out what the next move is. Uh, but uh, some sort of coaching or leadership position is absolutely of what I love to do, and I hope to continue. Make sure you follow him at Coach Bob Walsh on Twitter. Visit CoachBobWalsh.com. Coach, I really appreciate your time, your perspective, and for joining me on this episode of the Providence Firecast. Anytime, Mike. A lot, of, a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. Really good discussion with Coach Walsh there. I want to give him a, uh, a special thank you for joining me uh, during a snow day on Wednesday to talk some Providence basketball. And make sure you're subscribed to the Providence Friarcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Now that we're in the off season, you'll probably hear some uh, some more episodes that are interviews. We'll have some more guests, and then we'll eventually get into some recruiting discussion. Ed Cooley down in Georgia on Thursday, looking at a five star recruit, Ashton Hagens, a six or four point guard, Chris Dunn lookalike, somebody that uh, probably right now in the class of 2019, although it's possible he could become 2018. But uh, just make sure you're subscribed. Give, give us a rating and a review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'll talk to everybody soon. Don't forget to subscribe to the Providence Friarcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Follow Mike, follow Mike Hopkins, Hopkins on, Twitter on Twitter and Instagram at PCBB1917. Like the Facebook page. And, and as always, stay classy, Friartown.